0: Well, welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today, I'm glad to be joined by Alan Cross. Alan is a Southern Baptist pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. He's a author, a prolific blogger. He's the author of a great new book, called When Heaven and Earth Collide that I really encourage you to read. It really tells the story of evangelical Southern Baptists uh, in the South and the difficult issue of race. He really flushes out all the history and really talks about why it is that in some ways, evangelicals capitulated to the culture and accepted slavery and and racism. We're gonna talk to Alan about this and also about his new uh, role in helping evangelicals think through the difficult issue of immigration. Uh, he's a real expert on these issues. By the way, before we get to our conversation, I just want to thank all of you who have written, tweeted, or otherwise communicated about the Way Home podcast. Uh, this is how we spread the word. Tell a friend. We encourage you to write a review on iTunes. That really helps uh, people know about the podcast. If you have any feedback, if you'd like us to interview a particular guest, or you just have questions about the show. Uh, Email us, wayhome at erlc.com. Also, all the show notes and all information about this podcast is on my website, danieldarling.com. Click on the podcast page. We'll have all kinds of information there. Before we get to our conversation with Alan Cross, I want to tell you about an exciting new conference we're hosting with Focus on the Family and CareNet Net and, and some other organizations. We are calling Evangelicals for Life. This is January 21st and 22nd in Washington, D.C., And the purpose is to mobilize young evangelicals to be voices for life in their communities. If you're like me and you watch those Planned Parenthood videos and you're outraged at this injustice against the unborn, we encourage you to turn that anger or rage or whatever into good action and how you can be an advocate for life, not just for the unborn, but at all levels. We're going to have great speakers, Eric Metaxas, Russell Moore, our president, uh, Jim Daly, uh, David Platt, and many others, just talking about the broad range of pro-life issues. Uh, also, after the conference, we're going to join the March for Life and really make a statement in the nation's capital for life. This is January 21st and 22nd. At the end of the broadcast, I'm going to tell you about a way that you can get a coupon code 20% off for podcast listeners. So stay tuned for that. But for now, let's join our conversation with Alan Cross. So I'm here with my friend Alan Cross. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Absolutely, Dan. Glad live to be here, live here in Nashville. Not quite like the Pope's visit to DC, but pretty close. Almost, yes, almost. Alan, you have written a couple of books. I think the one that has you know really attracted the most attention and provoked some really good conversations is um, when Heaven and Earth Collide: Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus. So you don't really like to write on controversial topics, apparently. Right. <laughs> why write about anything else? Yeah, safe topics. But you come at this from an interesting perspective because you're a Southern Baptist pastor, mm-hmm. um, got roots in the Southern Baptist Convention, grew up in the South, right? Right. And yet you're you're being prophetic in some ways to say, okay, the the structures of racism in some ways were perpetuated by the church, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, over the years, I've, I've tried to figure out the world that I live in and why... Things are the way they are. Why mm-hmm. things are uh, were the way they were. And yeah. so, growing up in the in the South in the, in the 1980s and being a college student in the mm-hmm. 1990s, you know, kind of coming in after the Civil Rights Movement and that next generation, we get mm-hmm. my parents and grandparents all lived through it. And so, there are a lot of things that were whispered behind the scenes. And you know, well, this is how things were. And so, yeah. I'd ask questions: Why? Why were black and white separate? Why were things the way they were? Just trying to understand it, even as a kid. And the answer I'd always get is: Well, that's just how things were. And now we know better, but mm-hmm. that's how things were. And so that made sense when I was a kid, but then I became a man and, you know, you're supposed to put away childish things. Yeah. And uh, and so I just started studying it and trying to learn because... What I was told was that things have always been this way, mm-hmm. and I found out that that was not the case. Really, you go mm-hmm. you can go back to the 1600s in Virginia and see the the beginning of slavery and why it mm-hmm. happened. There were economic interests. So, to, you know, tobacco uh, became a cash crop and labor mm-hmm. was needed, and so you know they brought convicts, some from England and then Irish, and they were trying different things. and The ones that worked the best were the Africans from West Africa, and mm-hmm. so. Then the racism began to come after that as a, you know, kind of a of a background or a basis for defending why they were needed as as slaves. Mm-hmm. So you had economic interest first, then you had the laws change, and then culture change to kind of say white skin means leadership and and mm-hmm. you know the top of society, and black skin means servitude. And then is when the church was really brought in. I mean, you know, the church is always you know, in modern culture, tried to kind of fit in with the larger culture, and that was the case here. But the church wasn't leading the way on this. It wasn't that everything was fine, and then somebody read the Bible and saw Mm -hmm. Paul say, slaves, obey your masters, then suddenly went and enslaved a bunch of people. That's not what happened. Mm -hmm. And actually, slavery had been outlawed in Europe from Christian to Christian for several hundred years before this. So it had to kind of be reinvented in the the West and and, in the colonies. But economics drove it. Culture came alongside, laws were changed, and then the church was kind of subverted by it. Um, that's mm-hmm. what I found as, uh, you know, as I did my study. So I kept on looking into this, like, okay, well, is the church leading the way in racism or was the church following behind? And I began to see the church being a chaplain to the culture. Like Bart Barber uh, talks about this as well, and he and I have had a discussion about this, uh, a pastor in Texas mm-hmm. and, and Southern Baptist historian, that when Southern Baptists well, Baptist came from the north to the south in around 1800, the Second Great Awakening, most of them were abolitionists. Mm. And then they hit Southern culture, and over the course of a generation, they began to adapt to Southern culture with the agrarian mm. society and with slavery and things like that until you get to the 1840s and Southern Baptists are fully immersed in the whole slave ethic mm. and why we needed it. And so you can see over and over again that culture trumped theology mm. and and the church was subverted by it. So now we look at it and people say, well, the Bible, you know, interpretations of the Bible are why we had slavery. And actually, people were in culture, saw what was happening, and then they read the Bible through the lens of the culture to find Mm. their defense or to find their their basis for what they were doing. So...
0: You you know what's So when I hear you recount that, and that's such a, a great description of kind of what happened, it's scary to me in a sense that how easily we can adapt, massage the Bible to fit our culture, rather than reading the culture through the lens of scripture, right? Uh, which is what happened with slavery, right? I mean, it, this was us reading text differently to to fit our preconceptions, and and how that can happen today, right? Like, yeah, yeah. my question—I have a couple questions on that. One, you know, I've, there's a lot of people in my generation, white evangelicals, good people, love the Lord. They look at these racial conversations, and they're saying why can't we just move on? This already happened. You know, I didn't own slaves. I wasn't, you know, this isn't me. We're in 21st century. We elected African-American president, you know, and what, what do you say to that conversation? Um, what do you say to people that are saying those things?
1: Right. Well, you know, it, it did happen Mm -hmm. and we are still wounded as a nation by it. Mm -hmm. And there are whole swaths of our, of our population who still carry, uh, the pain of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, generationally. I mean, 150 years historically is not a really long time. No. You know, when you're, whenever you're passing ideas down from generation to mm-hmm. generation, uh, 50 years, you know, since the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. is not a long time. And so, if you're if you're a Christian, you can say, "I didn't personally do this," and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But do you care about what your neighbor has gone through? Mm. Do you care about how they perceive things? And, and we're called to sacrificial love. And this gets back to the whole to the whole issue of what happened. As I studied this, you know, we can talk about racism all day and racism is the original sin of America. And I really – as I kept studying and writing, I really came to not believe that. What I came to believe was the original sin of America, and this is just human sin that manifests in all cultures at all times, but is this idea of living to promote and defend your way of life Mm. over and above others. Mm. So you see everything in the sense of a competition, and how can I promote myself and defend myself? Mm. And if there's a threat to anything, um, you know, I, I have to defend that, and I have to make sure that I, that I, I prosper. So the seeds of the prosperity gospel were actually rooted mm. in a lot of this wow. that happened in the South, and it affected Baptists. This isn't just like a Pentecostal thing. You know, it, 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 yeah. a- it affected all the major denominations. It just manifests differently. And so once we put away racism as an overt thing in the 1960s, and you can't even exist in society now if there's any even a hint that you are racist, We put the symptom away, but the underlying cause, we never
0: dealt with. That's a really interesting point. I mean, when you you think about it, you're you're exactly right, because protecting my way of life seems to trump, even for many Christians then and and sometimes now, that trumps loving my neighbor, right? Right. That trumps the Great Commission. Right. Right. Right? That trumps the kind of sense of mission that we're on mission with God, His kingdom is here, and we're... We're to uh, seek the human flourishing of our communities, seek the welfare of the city. Right. How is it that Christians, you know, is it because we're individualistic in the West that we can at the same time go to church? pledged to be committed to the Great Commission, to reaching the nations with the gospel, to sending missionaries overseas, and yet being racist toward the other people who do not look like us, even in our communities. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, it's kind
1: of a, kind of like Christian voodoo in a way. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that if God is a means to an end, mm-hmm. you know, like, so what I talk about with my church is, is uh, and I say this in people's eyes, kind of get big, but you know, hey, you know... It's a young couple. They just got married. They're not in church. I said, so we need to get into church to help our marriage, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> or we need to get into church because we just had a kid to help us with parenting. So we have parenting classes and marriage classes yeah. and all this. And those things are fine. They're wonderful. But if your motivation remains, I'm mm-hmm. not saying when you first come, everybody comes in for different reasons and we need to right. meet people where they are. But if your motivation remains, I need to do this so that I'll get mm-hmm. this, that's what happens with voodoo, yeah. you know, I, I pay this so that I get the blessing. Wow, that's the prosperity thing. And as long as that's our mindset, and we don't move over to the cross, and God is like, a means to an end. God is a means to an end. Exactly right. As long as the God is a means to an end perspective is our mindset, and we don't, you know, say God is worth my life. No matter what I get mm-hmm. out of it, because I get him, that's the greatest reward. Until that switch takes place, and all these things keep on keep on popping up, you know, racism, um, individualism, and you have the sexual revolution. You know, Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. If you if you peel it all back and you get underneath it all, you find the same throbbing mm-hmm. core of "I want my way." You know, mm-hmm. and so the cross puts that to death, and that's what I think we're often missing. And what motivated me a lot in this is being pastoring in Montgomery, Alabama, for. Almost 16 years, um, I just began to say, "Man, we talk about mission, we talk about discipleship, and we lots of times I'm not just talking. I mean, I mean, my church has been fantastic, but but it's this barrier. You know, people hear, but until you can get to that core stuff Mm -hmm. of what really matters is it me and my prosperity, or is it actually laying my life down for God and then for others, and that moves us out into our neighborhoods, into our community, Mm -hmm. to say, what about their good? What about Mm -hmm. what benefits them?" And so that moves us into issues like immigration, you know, moves mm-hmm. us into to other things that are, are huge political issues today. And if we just keep thinking about myself and what benefits me, then we're never going to get on a gospel track with that.
0: I want to ask two more questions about, about your book and about, about race, and, and then I do want to talk about immigration, because I think it really ties in with this. But, um, you know, why should people in our generation study and know the history of racism and kind of where we've come, even maybe the errors and mistakes of the church. Like, why should we know our history that way? Right. Well, because it it affects us. I mean, it's the environment
1: that everything we have has grown up in. I'm a high school history teacher by mm-hmm. trade before I went into the ministry and went to seminary. And you know the, the reason why you study history is so that you can know why things are the mm-hmm. way they are now. People who say I don't care about that and they try to live and understand the mm-hmm. world they live in, they can't. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Al Mohler, um from Southern Seminary said recently, and I picked up on that and, and wrote a, a piece about it, but he he says that the Southern Baptist Convention was, was born in heresy mm-hmm. or in a form of heresy because of the slave owners and the, and the pro-slavery view mm. of the founders of the SBC, that's significant. Mm. If that's the case, then how much else was affected? Mm. You know, how, mu- how many other perspectives that we just take for granted was affected not just by racism, but by the underlying thing mm-hmm. beneath it, which is promoting and defending yourself and your way of life? Yeah. And so we look at that, and we understand, it, and then we begin to say, okay, well, yeah, we, we know this. Theologically, we know that sin permeates everything, and that's why we need to die daily, right? And so it actually brings us to Jesus. Mm. Understanding instead of getting defensive, why are you defensive about what happened 100 years ago? Right, it's a reason to pray, and it helps open our mm-hmm. eyes to see what God can do to heal and what He wants to do through us, and how we can go to our neighbor and minister to them. And it actually becomes a very positive thing to understand all this,
0: and it really helps us love our neighbor to know the, the you know his his history and background, and and it's hard to to really make disciples of people that you really don't. Know much about or care about, uh, and it's
1: very it's very humbling too. So, yeah. or, sh- or or it should be. So, why do we think that the problems in our community mm-hmm. aren't our problems too? You know, yeah. shouldn't we you know engage with that as well? And, and I
0: and I wonder too. Speaking to this uh, as,
1: as a white evangelical Christian, I mean, we yeah.
0: we talk. You hear talk about majority minority culture, which I think is good. And I, this is something I didn't didn't realize until much later that as a white evangelical, there's certain privilege and things that that I took for granted just because you know I didn't notice any kind of you know if you, if you're in the if you're in the majority you have a certain privileges you don't even recognize right, right. and so wh- why is it important also to kind of know to know that and and also maybe use that for for good right well you know some you know, some people just reject the very idea of that, with, uh,
1: which I think is really short-sighted. I mean, yeah. it's been true in every culture throughout the history of time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people yeah. there are people who rule and people who yeah. don't and people who are oppressed. And so we just have this view that because America is is this free country, kind of egalitarian country, that that doesn't happen here, and that's, that's ignorant. I mean, it does happen here, and yeah. certain groups benefit from it. And so recognizing if you are a white... Um, Evangelical Christian that you've been in, in the majority culture, then you say, okay, well, how you know what have I? How have I benefited from that? Not to feel bad about it. I mean, people always worry about that. It's like, are you trying to make me feel guilty? It's like, no. Why would I want to do that? You no. know. But if you recognize that you have been, been, you know, that you've benefited, then how can you then benefit others? How yeah. can you? How can you use whatever you have to help others? Isn't that yeah. what what love is? Isn't that what sacrificial yeah. love is? And I'm not talking about pity. I'm talking about actually entering in to what Mm -hmm. others are going through. And if you have something you can encourage them with or bless them with or lay down so that they begin to stand up or or whatever Mm -hmm. that might be, then that's a good thing, you know, so.
0: This conversation is really helpful because it seems like, one of the best ways to start for white evangelicals, right, is to do some reading. Read your book, When Heaven and Earth glide Great read. Really good history and good theology in there. Read widely. But wouldn't you also say to just try to get to know people who are different, maybe even if it means going to a different community or just uh, meeting people who don't look like us? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, as believers, mm. the whole idea of a white church, black church, we're... Where does that come from? That's, yeah. not, that's not a biblical designation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it, it comes because of our history of sin and division, mm. and, and that's why we still have those things. And I talk to people, and they say, well, we just have different worship styles. I'm like, well, so your worship style is more important than the mission of God mm. and, and, the, and the church that he created, right? Mm. So that's, and that gets back to personal preference again. Yeah. You know, What benefits me? And so we, we expose ourselves through the things that we say, unless we get in line with what God wants us to do. And he calls us to engage with other people Loving them, their burdens become our burdens, Mm -hmm. and that that becomes the platform. I tell a story in the book about um, Bishop in Alexandria, and and, um, I believe it was Dionysus in 260 AD. Mm -hmm. And this plague came, Mm -hmm. and all of the pagans ran away and left. And as the the plague hit Alexandria and people were dying, the Christians stayed, Mm -hmm. and they ran back in. And he, and it was, it was, it was the Easter letter that he wrote, mm-hmm. and he talks about how they should, the one, the Christians who died were some of the best of us. They were deacons, they were presbyters, they were elders. They, they should be considered among the martyrs because they went into the plague, they went into the pain, and they died alongside of unbelievers, mm-hmm. and 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 tried to heal them. And so after it was all over with, when the pagans came back, the people who were left said, we don't want your religion. We want what Christianity is. And so the church began to flourish and grow through the plague and through the sacrifice. And I think that when we are constantly afraid of persecution or constantly afraid of any difficulty whatsoever, losing our power and culture, and we're fighting and we're fighting, we're missing the opportunity that God has provided for us to love sacrificially, lay our lives down, because that's that's where the gospel grows, is through Mm. laying our lives down and sacrificial love for others. And they hear and see what is real to us, which is Jesus himself. So... Mm.
0: That's such a good word. I want to talk about immigration and even uh, refugee work. So you're you're a pastor in Montgomery. Right. Recently, you uh, have joined this effort to uh, talk about immigration reform and to just help Christians, I think, think through some of these very complex issues. And so, I, I guess the first question is: you know, there's this debate, kind of always in the country about immigration. I think there's there's a kind of fear of. You know the changing demographics in our country, and what can we do about it? You have the illegal immigration uh, issue, and people coming in illegally. What should we do with these people? And so, I guess the first question is from a from a perspective of a pastor, a Christian. Uh, you know, how did you come to kind of think through these issues, uh, and and why is this such a something we should be thinking about? Right. So
1: I'm I'm researching this book. I probably spent five or six years working on it Mm -hmm. and a couple years writing it just into every aspect of history and sociology and culture, economics, um, theology, everything. And 2011 hits and HB 56 happens in Alabama, which is this really, really strong anti-immigration law. And I had not really thought anything about immigration before that. It just hadn't really crossed my path. And I began looking at this law and I began looking at the effects of it and how if there was a family broken down on the side of the road and I picked them up and took them somewhere, which is the Bible tells me to do, then I would be breaking the law because I would be transporting um, illegal aliens and, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, you know, as it called them. And, uh, and so I just can say, well, you know, this is actually a religious liberty issue that mm-hmm. Scripture commands me to minister to the person in front of me without asking for their papers, you know. Mm-hmm. But yet the state that people on my side of the political aisle as a conservative or supporting are saying that if I do that, I'm violating the state law. Why are Baptist churches who care about religious liberty, why are we not in an outcry over this? Yeah. We said nothing. And that really struck me. And so I began to call Baptist leaders in Alabama and saying, why aren't you saying anything about this? And they said, well, we didn't think about it. And I was like, why didn't you think about it? And the reason why was because these immigration laws being written benefited us as white Baptist Alabamians. It didn't even, we didn't even consider that
0: mm-hmm.
1: that what we should be doing is helping the person in front of us, and now there was a law written that criminalized that, and therefore we had lost our religious liberty to follow Christ without breaking the law. And that got me thinking, okay, what else is going on here in this situation? So I kept studying immigration, and I realized that there's a lot of corruption. You know, there's a lot more... Than somebody sneaking across the border to live off of social services from America, mm-hmm. but actually you have you have corporate corruption, you have government corruption, you have all these things to create a black market for labor, and a lot of the victims of this almost are people who've been trafficked here, or mm-hmm. coyotes have brought them, and they've made promises to them that when you get to America you'll have all this, and people believe them, and then they come here, and the mm-hmm. situation is very different. And so there's a lot more to it than just a very simplistic. They came here illegally, so therefore they broke the law. Yeah. Let's kick them out. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It seems to me too, you know, and some of my conversations that it's hard for people to see undocumented immigrants as people. Right. It's created in the midst of God. you hear just like blaming them for all these problems. And uh, clearly there is a there's an issue of sure. illegal immigration that has sure. to be solved. You know, government has to have laws. They have to have borders. Right. Uh, we we both agree with that strongly. Absolutely. Uh, but is you know. The question is: Is there a way to do this to solve this problem, this immigration issue, that both sees the humanity of the immigrant and, you know, the law? Romans thirteen. Right. Uh, and and what would you say to, to people that are kind of struggling with that?
1: Yeah, I would. I would think that there is. Um, you know. Every, I've traveled all over the world to, mm-hmm. to, to many different nations, and I can't go anywhere if I don't have the right paperwork. I'm, yeah. I, end, I immediately am thrown into jail if I try to sneak into a country. Yeah. So I agree with that, and I agree that America should be that way too. That's, that's a fine mm-hmm. thing. However, we're in a situation that isn't that in the sense that we have 11 to 12 million people who have, for various reasons, come here over the past 5, mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 years, and now they have families, and now they have children who are citizens. And some of them, um, there was a story that I heard yesterday about a young man in Montgomery who was brought here when he was six months old, and now he's seventeen years old, and he doesn't—he's undocumented. Mm-hmm. And so, what country would we deport him to? This yeah. is—this is all he knows. This is his country. This yeah. is his country. That's yeah. right. Even though his country of origin is in Central America. Uh, or actually, it's in southern Mexico. How? I mean, he would show up there just like you or I would, and go, "What? What am I doing?" Mm-hmm. You know. And so there is a human element to it. And so we have justice and we have the law, but then we also, as believers, we do promote mercy and we do try to say we're we are a society that could, if we try to differentiate between those who are, who are actually trying to abuse the system and who mm-hmm. are trying to break the law and trying to do wrong, between those who are actually trying to live the right way and that want to contribute to society and pay taxes and things like that. And so what if we just tried to fix it? Yeah. You know, And, and, and instead of demagoguing on both sides and that type of thing, what if we actually came together and tried to fix it? And when I talked to believers about that, other pastors and Christians in Alabama, the most conservative state on this issue. Everybody says yes. Let's fix it. Yeah, let's fix it. Yeah. yeah, you make a great point. Let's fix it. And so... You know, Washington polarized, and the political process mm-hmm. is polarized. But the church could actually step forward and say, "Let's have secure borders and 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 mm-hmm. follow the rule of law and fix it for these people, and then share
0: the gospel with them as we do." You know, so there's there's a lot of room for that. I think, I think what people don't understand, you and I have both been to the border. We've talked to these. You know, immigration officials and pe- people on both sides that do ministry, and then board, I, you know, we've talked to border officials. Uh, I think what most people don't understand is just how broken the system is and how antiquated, right? I mean, uh, when we say fix the system, um, I think most people think that there's a big wide open door to come in legally, that you know, if you want a job here, you can come in, and that people are just... Trying to cheat the system and go around it. What I actually found, and I, I'm sure you found too, is that it's actually very hard to get into the United States, and you know, to get in. And and then on the other th- side of it, we need these people for our workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if there's a way to fix the system to secure the border and kind of open up legal immigration to people who really would want to be here, um, that seems to be the solution, right?
1: Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. And. And, uh, you know, the border does need to be secure. We have a lot of social services in America. The whole world can't yeah. just come here right. in mass, obviously. But at the same time, our our economy does have labor needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say, well, there are a lot of people out of work. Why don't they do that? Well, they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are industries that, that do need labor. And, you know, one way that I've described it is that, okay, there's a job in Minneapolis that's open. And there are people in Shreveport who mm-hmm. could do it. But they're not moving there. But a more mobile... Workforce does do that. So anyway, there are economic issues. But even just from a human perspective, it's mm-hmm. like, what could we do to make this right? Mm-hmm. And there are answers that are out there. And and really, it's, it's Christians standing up and saying, these people have value, and let's share the gospel with them and love mm-hmm. them, and let's speak to our, our government about how we can actually get to a solution.
0: And, and one of the things that really struck me And I I know has struck you in our conversations is just some of the deportation policies that people advocate, well-meaning people Mm -hmm. that really care about the rule of law advocate, are actually not pro-family, even pro-life. I mean, if you're a pro-life person, you really have to see the dignity of the immigrant and and seek their best welfare. But also... Pro-family, a lot of the deportation policies that people advocate um, would break up families, You know, fathers away from their families, fathers deported or, or sons deported. And then you create environments uh, that aren't good for flourishing and with crime and poverty. So I guess if, if, if uh, just to wrap up our conversation, if you're talking to pastors and church leaders who really care about immigration policies— Care about r- racial reconciliation. What are some ways that they can do this w- well by preaching and by teaching and by leading in their churches? You know, I think talking about Jesus mm-hmm. and the
1: cross and sacrificial love mm-hmm. and um, actually looking at the value of the person in front of you, if we can start there instead of starting um, you know, with what American immigration law says. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Christians who start the conversation with American immigration law instead of what God says about the value of his creation and who he made to reflect his image. And so obviously law is important. Um, but as Americans who live in a uh, democratic republic, the idea of the consent of the governed mm-hmm. and, the, and, and, and the social contract, you where know, we, we get to make the law, and so, you know, 1830, the Indian Removal Act in the Southeast that removed 47,000 uh, Native Americans from the five uh, nations, 47,000 over seven years marched on the Trail of Tears out of the Southeast. We look at that now and we say, that was wrong. You know, that was that was a tragi- a human tragedy that happened because a law was passed that said this had to be so. So we actually can look at our laws and say this doesn't make sense based on what happened and where we are. And could we alter it? Could we fix it? Could we mm-hmm. take in the idea of keeping families together? You know, we're pro-family as evangelicals. We should care about that. You know, can we take in the idea that if a, if a child was brought here against her will or against their own knowledge, that why can't they even just apply for legal status? You know, that's something that up until recently hasn't even been a possibility, now we have a few options that are, are being argued about. But, you know, we aren't talking about, like, just granting citizenship to people you know, Mm -hmm. out of the blue, but those who qualify, those who are willing to pay a fine, those who are willing to pay taxes, those who are willing to get into the process, and many of them have no country to go back to. You know, they've mm-hmm. been here for so long. So, so that type of thing. I mean, just thinking through it with wisdom. And I don't. I mean, you know, there might not be a specific answer that we can just say, this is what should happen because there's a lot of debate and, mm-hmm. and discussion. But if we could just lean forward as a people and say, what if we tried to do the right thing and actually fix it? We've, we've solved much bigger issues than this, yeah. but it's that whole, I have to defend and promote my way of life thing which is the underlying cause beneath racism and some nativism and that type of thing Mm -hmm. and fear Mm -hmm. that keeps us from getting around the table and actually solving this,
0: I think. And it seems to me, regardless of how you think we should fix this, you know, there's a lot of opinions on how to fix immigration, some of the specific details, but it seems to me you can't hold the Great Commission in one hand uh, and, and God's heart for the nations and the nations coming here that we can... God has given us an opportunity to not only evangelize, but some of these are brothers, sisters in Christ coming right. from other countries. You can't hold God's heart for racial reconciliation like you see uh, in in Revelation and mm-hmm. the vision of, of the kingdom, future kingdom, and have this kind of fear of the other right. uh, as an American. So one of these things can't these things can't coexist, can they?
1: No, I don't think so. And, and it, this moves us. So after we discuss all this and we try to figure it out, it moves mm-hmm. us to this place. We probably should start there. With this idea that's very biblical, I was uh, reading in Isaiah Mm -hmm. in the 40s um, this morning, but this idea that God is sovereign, Mm. right? And could it be, could it be that God is bringing sovereignly, catapulting is a term that I heard earlier today with somebody I was talking to, catapulting the nations to us Mm. so that we can then proclaim the gospel to them. And, and and love them and benefit them. Could it be that that's what is happening? And you look at Europe and and the migration, the Syria migration crisis and. Um, I've, I've been reading uh, reports from missionaries over there who are saying this could very well be God answering prayer. Mm. We've been praying for the Middle East. We've been praying for Muslims that so they would encounter the gospel, and now they're coming They're coming in, here. Yeah, by, by the thousands. So what is the church gonna do? That's always the question. Are we gonna huddle up and protect ourselves and make sure that we have our stuff? Mm-hmm. Are we gonna see that maybe, just maybe, God is yeah. sending people here? Because he cares more about their salvation than about our comfort.
0: That's such a great word. Great way to end our conversation. Alan Cross, thank you so much for joining uh, today on the Way Home Podcast. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you. Well, I want to thank my friend Alan Cross for a great conversation on immigration and race. Really important issues for the church. And I hope that you enjoyed it and hopefully that it provoked some good thinking uh, in your mind as it did in mine. If you enjoyed the podcast, let us know by sending us an email, wayhome at erlc.com or posting on Facebook or Twitter, your favorite social media platform, uh, or writing a review on iTunes. Also, I promised that I would tell you about a coupon code for this great conference we're having hosting in Washington, D.C., with a focus on the family and Care Net called Evangelicals for Life. Podcast listeners can get a discount by going to the conference website, which will be linked for my website, danieldarling.com, And when you register, you can type in the coupon code WAYHOME. That's all caps, WAYHOME. That's 20% off. But for now, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.